I've seen American flowers all across this land from the banks of the Shenandoah along the Rio Grande. Welcome to episode three of the Voices of Wisdom podcast. On this episode, I'm in conversation with my friend Shane Claiborne. Shane recently stopped by my office in Nashville to sit down and talk about his life and work. Shane Claiborne is a prominent speaker, activist, and best-selling author. Shane has worked with Mother Teresa in Calcutta, and he founded The Simple Way in Philadelphia. He heads up Red Letter Christians, a movement of folks who are, quote, committed to living as if Jesus meant the things that he said. Shane is a champion for grace, which has led him to jail advocating for the homeless and to places like Iraq and Afghanistan to stand against war. Now grace fuels his passion to end the death penalty and to help stop gun violence. Shane's books include Jesus for President, Red Letter Revolution, Common Prayer, Jesus Bombs and Ice Cream, Follow Me to Freedom, Becoming the Answer to Our Prayers, Executing Grace, and his classic, The Irresistible Revolution. His newest book is Beating Guns. Shane's books have been translated into more than a dozen languages. He speaks over 100 times a year nationally and internationally. His work has appeared in Esquire, Spin, Christianity Today, Time Magazine, and The Wall Street Journal. And he's been on everything from Fox News and Al Jazeera to CNN and NPR. He's given academic lectures at Harvard, Princeton, Liberty, Duke, and Notre Dame. Shane speaks regularly at denominational gatherings, festivals, and conferences around the globe. Shane organizes his life around his deepest convictions. I hope this episode inspires you to do the same. And without further delay, here's my conversation with Shane Claiborne. Do not feel the winter blowing in the hearts of men. I've seen American flowers, they will bloom again. All right, so I wanted to start out by just talking a little bit about how we came to know one another. Yeah, cool, man. And uh, so we met through our mutual friend Rex when you were making uh, the That's film, right. the, yeah, the Beating Guns film. And so the first you time I met- You did a good job with that film. It's powerful. Yeah, yeah the yeah. Beating Guns film. I remember yeah, that. it's beautifully done. Um, and so the first time I met you is when uh, you stayed with my family and I yeah. while you were in town for that. And uh, man, it was such a, like I have to tell you a little backstory. It was such a surreal experience to have you sitting like in the room when there's like the the video of you talking about Pepito and, and, and some things that you've experienced. You're in uh, what was our sunroom at the time. Mm. And uh, like right before you started rolling, you said something about um, building a house on sinking sand. Hmm. And uh, there's no I got way- that from somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course, yeah. But, but you referenced it. I don't even remember what exactly you were talking about, but it was, uh, you had, you had no way of knowing, but you were actually sitting in a room that was on sinking sand. <laughs> like the house literally, was literally yeah. like the, the foundation was broken and, uh, and there was like this whole to do about that. But I, I thought that was pretty surreal. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, I, I like that old hymn. One of my favorites is, uh, uh, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness, righteousness, all other ground is sinking sand, you know, so there's a lot of sinking sand these days. And, it's good to good to build a firm foundation. Absolutely. So, uh, take us back to your upbringing, and, and can you tell me a little bit about like how you became who you are, <laughs> yeah. like like how the foundation that you grew out of, I guess, as far as your family, but also the culture you grew up in, and like for better and for worse, how that shaped who you are today. Well, law, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up down in Tennessee here, and like a couple hours from Nashville, and in, in a little town called Maryville, um, and that that certainly, I mean, that's where I lived my whole um, childhood, you know, and even up until college uh, there. So it was a town that, uh, you know, we had the southern hospitality. You know, I grew up with my uh, my family are from the hills. You know, my, my great great grandfather was the mailman by horseback in the Smoky Mountains, you know, in Cage Cove and all that area where, you yeah. know, all that. so, the, and um, there's there's so much that I love about the South and um, about East Tennessee, but I also began to see some of the yet to be redeemed pieces, you know, yeah. um, we, we were still, it was still a very segregated town. We, 
um, Maryville High School where I went um, was the, the Maryville Rebels and we had the Confederate flag on um, most everything, you know, mm-hmm. um, like football uniforms and walls. And, yeah. Um, I didn't have eyes to see a lot of that until I got outside of it a little bit back and, I, you know, a little bit and I'm able to look back and appreciate the, the, the really beautiful parts of it and then um, um, learn from the others, you know. But I, I, like, when I went to college, I put my high school yearbook on the shelf and it had the Confederate flag on it, you know. My friends wow. were like, what's that? <laughs> That's not cool, you know. It's not football spirit, you know. So I, I really, um, uh, it's part of what... Um, why I really wanted to study sociology in college. I wanted to study the world and, you know, the issues that affect uh, people. And um, so I studied sociology and I studied the Bible because I also, you know, fell in Jesus down, uh, fell in love with Jesus down here in the Bible Belt, you know, and grew up in the church. I grew up Methodist. Um, uh, and and then I got Pentecostal and then I got learned from the Catholics. So I'm a, I'm a a fusion of spiritual streams, I guess. But um, uh, the other thing I'd say is that my, my dad died when I was young. Um, but just right, I was just before my birthday, I was turning nine years old. He had multiple sclerosis. And so he was in a wheelchair and pretty sick, you know, as long as I can remember. Um, and so I grew up with a single mom. Uh, even before he died, they had been divorced. So my mom and I were, were, best friends you know yeah. we're, we're, uh, I, I don't have any brothers or sisters and so mom and I have been a real team and and you know on everything and been through a lot together um, so but th- there's also a piece of that where I you know looking back on it I'm able to see how much my mom really shaped how I think about the world because she challenged a lot of those uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the the things that are um, kind of the residue of racial history and and even like I had a, a African-American girlfriend in elementary school and um, that was totally cool you know I think some parents I mean this is, I was born in 1975 so you know right. that was still very very real back then and uh, and my mom was a special ed teacher and she taught um, some of her kids were in the children's home which was like a facility you know and they were able to come home with me and you know like she would bring them home and we'd you know, talk and play together. So those are some of my play, playmates that had, you know, like Down syndrome and things like that. And I yeah. ended up having a really good friend that had a, a spinal cord thing that paralyzed him. And so he um, he had um, a trachea, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and um, had like a, 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 like this suction cup they put on his chin to play video games. And he would just shred me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I just, I... I um, I, 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 I think there's a lot that expanded my comfort zone of, of who I hung out with and things mm-hmm. like that early on because yeah. my mom and other stuff, you know, and um, had a deaf friend in high school. So I learned sign language, you know, uh, in order to communicate with her. And we, um, yeah, so I, I just have always, always kind of leaned into those friendships that um, I think really have, have shaped who I am. And, and certainly my mom, I'm the definition of a mama's boy. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm finding that there's a theme after talking to Sean King and to, yeah, to yeah. Father Roar that, that there's something about um, men who are in touch with with for lack of a better word the feminine aspects of themselves because of such a nurturing and positive relationship with the mom and I'm wondering how you know in a world that uh, is very fatherless and in multiple senses of that um, statement. Fatherless in a, in a lot of ways, um, and then the way that you know females, and then any what's traditionally been considered feminine aspect of a woman or a man has been really uh, sort of beaten down and silenced. And I'm wondering how um, how you think that experience of of your mom helps you to be a healing force in the world. Wow, I, I've you know not thought in depth about the psychology of it all, and I, I think that's what you do, you know. But I, I, I think uh, um, for sure I began to see. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I think that there's there's pieces of the um, like masculinity that uh, you know get expressed in really toxic ways, and others that you know I I don't know that I'm I'm 
see this as two complete dualisms. You know, I kind of see Jesus as like fully human. So he wept, he flipped tables, right. he, you know, um, uh, listened to women at the well. You know, he, mm-hmm. he like was, was just, he just had, he, he was, um, God become flesh. So I really look to that as, as a, you know, model of personhood, humanity, you know, mm-hmm. the son of man, the human one, as it's, you know, I, so I see that. But I, I do think, like, there are a lot, there's a lot of work that I've done to try to um, think through who I am, you know, in this world. And mm-hmm. um, Richard, uh, Father Richard's a great friend, Richard Rohr, who you've had on your show. He, mm-hmm. he wrote a book called Wild Man to Wise Man. Have you read that one? I have it's not. A great, it's, it's a great one. I, I try to get a lot of people to read that, you know, because it, it, but it's, it's about, you know, sort of, he, call, he talks about male spirituality, and I've, I've mm-hmm. done the uh, men's rites of passage retreat with, with, uh, with Richard, and mm-hmm. um, those, those things have been a big, you know, part of trying to think through, you know, what that looks like, and also to mentor other young men. I mean, one of the best things we've had going in Philly are relationships where we're, I, I almost think of them as co-mentoring because I feel like I'm learning to, you know, right. but I'm pouring my life into some of the younger guys in our neighborhood and, um, and women too, but particularly the, the young men, you know, we, we have a, a beautiful thing that a friend of mine, a bunch of friends of mine helped start called Timoteo, which is Spanish for Timothy, referring to Paul, the, you know, yeah. uh, uh, who wrote so much of the New Testament and, and Timothy as a, it was a mentoring relationship. So, we now, I think we've got like 400 young guys that are being mentored by older men, you know, in Philly. So wow. all that, and it's a, yeah. it's a football league now, <laughs> naturally, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's beautiful. Um, so, that, yeah, that, as far as my mom, though, I, I think that um, um, I have, I've, I've had a lot of um, really, really healthy men in my life as well, even though I didn't, um, didn't really have a, father present, mm-hmm. you know, for most of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, had a, uh, other, other folks like my grandfather was a really nurturing mm-hmm. uh, male and I was his only grand, grandson, child, you know, yeah. so we, we were really tight before he died. And um, yeah, but I, I don't know, man, you, you're, you're yeah. the expert on yeah. all yeah. that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> gotcha. Um, so what, what is something that people don't know about you that would help them to know you better or what's, maybe a common way in, in which you feel misunderstood. Mm. Something that folks don't know about me, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, uh, I, all the superficial stuff immediately comes to my mind. You know, like I was a gymnast and <laughs> all that, okay. and, you know, yeah. you know how to fire breathe and turn back flips, but you know. Really? But, yeah, but I went to circus school. You know, okay. But that doesn't sound very, um, very deep or no, that's very in, interesting. On point with the ten, tenor of, of your wonderful <laughs> podcast, you know. But um, I, I mean, I, I think for um, a, a lot of my life, I have looked to folks that um, have really wrestled with their own, who real authentically with who they are meant to be in the world. One of those is Rich Mullins, who mm-hmm. passed away in a car accident a bunch of years ago. I think he's been. 20 years almost or something, mm-hmm. right? It's been a long time. But yeah, he yeah. died when I was, um, um, when we were starting The Simple Way. But he, he was, he um, uh, wrestled with his sexuality, wrestled with the addiction, I mean, you know, just di- depression, different things. But he was always really honest with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I came to see that, um, I think a part of what the church needs is a space where people can be, honest, you know, with, with their struggles, their hypocrisies, their contradictions, right. you know, and I don't think that non-Christians are looking for Christians that are perfect, but Christians that are honest, and right. so I've, you know, done my best to try to, um, to, to uh, be transparent about those things, and, and um, sometimes when people say the church is full of hypocrites, uh, I say, no, it's not, we've always got room for more, you know, and, and I, but I think it's yeah. folks like Rich Mullins, and so many others, because you know, I, I don't think people are. Um, uh, look, I think they look at the church and they see um, a place that pretends that it's perfect, you know, and it's become often like sort of more of a country club for saints than a place for, for wounded healers. Right. And so, um, I, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time with the recovery community, like we have in Philadelphia, and 
folks that are creating um, sort of that model where we see the things that we've survived as not our things that we are to be ashamed of, but things that are um, actually the very kind of credentials for, for right. doing redemptive work in the world. And the scars tell the stories of what we've made it through. And they, you know, as they were with Jesus, they kind of are a part of our story. And, and we don't need to be ashamed of them. They actually bear testimony of, of um, God's grace and human resilience and, yeah. you know, like all that together. So, Amen. I don't know, that's... that's uh, <laughs> my, my dancing around your wonderful question. No, that's that's a beautiful response. Um, and by the way, I can't turn a backflip without stretching for like thirty minutes. That's what happened after forty. You know, I yeah. can still do one. I just have to stretch for. I got to do my life. Yeah, we're we're workout. roughly the same age, and it's it's real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that whole after forty thing is real. Uh, so I'm wondering, like, I, I know that there's multiple answers to this, um, but. What drives you? What's the primary thing that drives you to do what you do? Well, uh, it, it might sound a little cliche, but I, I think it's it's very honest. Is that that uh, love drives me to do what I do? I mean, love. When Jesus is asked about, you know, what, what's it all boil down to? He says, love, love God, love your neighbor. I, but I also like I, I like how Dostoevsky, uh, you know, he says that the love that we're talking about is not the sentimental love of fairy books and story tales. Like this is the mm-hmm. harsh and dreadful love, you know, that keeps you up at night when you are wrestling with the responsibility mm-hmm. of what you know loving our neighbor requires of us in a world with so much pain and inequity. And right. um, I have lots of other feelings. I'm in Tennessee partly because there's an execution planned this week by electric chair. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, right here in the Bible Belt, a state that I love so much. So we, you know, we're at the governor's office uh, who ran for office partly because of, of um, the, the conviction of his faith, you know, of what, mm-hmm. and, and, and yet, you know, he's, he's poised right now to carry out more executions, I understand, than any governor in Tennessee history. Mm-hmm. And so, and the Tennessee's one of the only states using the electric chair, you know, so I mean, like, here, yeah. like, yeah. I feel other things. Right. Anger. <laughs> yeah. Know, um, yeah. I mean, I, heartbreak I mean, and yeah, trauma. So there's yeah. all of that. But, but I, I think really at the end of the day, like, why I have tears in my eyes is we're at the governor's office is because for years and years now, I've been meeting the men at Unit 2 that you've, mm-hmm. you've been to visit. and Yeah, these men that are being executed one by one every few months are your friends. Yeah. yeah. I heard the stories of what, uh, you know, what God's done in their lives. I mm-hmm. know them. And, and, so it, it really is a love for them and, and also the complexity of their relationships. I mean, some of these folks have done really terrible things and, right. and most of them that I know are really transparent about that. In fact, one of them I, who was executed, Don Johnson, I got to know his daughter as well, mm-hmm. who um, originally was for his execution, but then she you know, came out saying like, I found that the hatred wasn't hurting him, but it was right. destroying me, you know, and yeah. the only way forward had to be different. Yeah, and I remember hearing so. you uh, speak about her in uh, Atlanta. Yeah. So, I mean, I've yeah. learned, um, in, you know, uh, uh, from um, even through the cracks of all the, the, the brokenness that we see there, but but also the the genuine faith of these men who are asking the governor to pray with them and right. what a human request, you know, what a, what a holy request as Jesus said, you know, when I, when I was in prison, did you visit me? So, yeah, yeah so I, I mean, I feel a lot of things in the work that we do, but um, um, I, I, there, there's, there's all kinds of other, you know, elements to that cocktail of, right. of things that fuel me, but, but hope and joy I, I mean i believe in imagination it's part of why we're beating guns in the garden tools right because we want to win people's hearts and minds and we want to pro- not just protest but protestify you know proclaim mm-hmm. of uh, the way the world could be and not settle for the way it is so yeah. I, I believe in joy and imagination and all those things but right. um yeah at the end of the day I, of the day i think i think really um love is what fuels me and and and, and i think that um you can almost look at anything that I grew up calling sin um, or missing the mark, you know, right. whatever, like, like however we want to say it, like falling short. And I would say like all that, it, it, it amounts to falling short mm-hmm. of what love requires of us. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, I had a pastor tell me one time, you know, why does God hate sin? And I said, well, we're breaking God's law. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's like, keep going, keep, you know, he, he kind of kept 
you know, stirring the, the pot. And he said, a lot of those things may be true, but the, 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 really when it comes down to it, God hates sin because he loves people. Mm -hmm. God loves us so much. And, and yeah. the things that we do that are, the, the reason that there's laws is to try to keep us from destroying ourselves. Mm -hmm. and, and that, that really kind of changed the way I thought about some of that, you know? Yeah, yeah that ultimately, in some ways, we're being saved from ourselves. Yeah, and, and yeah. the scripture says God is love, and so I, yeah. it's hard to see anything that is not yeah. a, 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 of God or that is right. sinful or whatever, you know, as being kind of out of sync with that, right. that love that we're made in the image of and yeah. that, that fuels the world. And I feel you coming from that place because the, a part of what you do requires that you be a prophetic voice and that you have to call out some things where church or Christians, we, we tend to align with some, some pretty horrific things, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, how do you find that balance of, you know, being a corrective voice within the church? You know, some people are calling out the church from outside of it. You're, you're sort of calling it to account more than calling it out in a call-out culture kind of way from the inside. And um, how difficult must that be to, to, to keep relationships and speak truth at the same time well some of some of my own backdrop is, it gives me a certain degree of like grace and patience with other people who mm -hmm. are like the person I was and am you know but on some of these issues right um, like the death penalty mm -hmm. I, I spent a, a almost as much of my life for those things as I have against them, you mm. know? And so some of the positions or theology or whatever that undermine like some of my um, political, uh, uh, you know, opinions and things like that, they were, they, they've changed. So I think that mm -hmm. evolution, the ability to change is, is uh, something we always have to yeah. hope okay. for. And I mean, and you know, so um, I think it was Chesterton, uh, one of the, you know, great, Christian thinkers, he said, he, they asked him, what's the biggest problem in the world? And he said, I am. <laughs> uh, so I mean, I think, yeah. I think when Jesus is saying, you know, get the log out of your own eye before right. you work on the spec. But, but that, that, that internal work also leads to, you know, thinking about the world that we live in and how to, how to be the change we want to see in the world, right. but also how to see the world change, you know? So part of why I, a lot of my activism and writing and things um some of who i speak to are christians mm -hmm. who um i mean like the, the 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 death penalty has been sustained by christians i mean it wouldn't stand a chance in america right. without the support of christians i mean here we are in tennessee you know one of the top executing states potentially in 2020 that is the heart of the bible belt same with texas right. you know so those um but I, I want to speak to the, mm -hmm. the, uh, th these things are, to me, they are about the death penalty, but they're a lot bigger than that. Right. They are about gun violence, but they're much bigger than that. You right. know, they're the kind of um, ways that those things are manifestations of mm -hmm. a really deeper, like, theological holes and, yeah. I think, spiritual kind of, um, like, a spirituality that is really... Um, I mean, it's gone sick, you know, in yeah. a lot of ways. When it, when it expresses itself in violence or we, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, are, are executing people, as Jesus said, you know, blessed are the merciful for you will be shown mercy. It kind of changes, you know, I think yeah. the way when did we miss the whole point. So, yeah, I was in Texas and this guy, you know, he said to me, I, I'm, a, I'm a redneck. And then he went on and, you know, I'm a, you know, I got a pickup truck, I got guns, I drink whiskey, you know, I'm... I'm just a redneck, and he, he said, but I've been reading your stuff, and he, he said, uh, um, it's got me thinking, and I'm, I'm a recovering redneck now, and he said, so <laughs> pray for me, you know, we'll yeah. pray together, and I, so if I, if we don't have room for someone that, you know, right. like, like that man, if yeah. we, and so I think we're, there's, there's a certain form, certain forms that self-righteousness has that mm -hmm. are always, um, poisonous, you yeah. know, um, and, and Jesus calls it the yeast of the Pharisees, you know, that it, it's like mm -hmm. makes its way through the, the, the whole dough, you know, that right. there's this sort of, uh, and, and there's a conservative uh, kind of fundamentalist legalism and mm -hmm. self-righteousness that I'm really familiar with. Mm -hmm. I grew up in that, right. but there's also, I think, forms of progressivism and, um, 
yeah. you know, on, on the left, that there's ways of thinking that um, also are self-righteous and policing and, you know, all these right. like ways that are, and, and, and we can be really mean. Yeah. You know, like, like uh, sometimes I think what's, what's just as important as being right is being kind and, and being loving, you know, and, and, and not that we don't speak truth, but I, I think, you know, right. that, that part of what Jesus is showing us is that you, you can, you can be moral but not alive, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think Jesus just came to, you know, have us all live really good lives and look down terribly on everybody else right. that doesn't, you know, <laughs> you know, right. thank you that I'm not like those people, you know, Jesus told a story about that, you know, pointing fingers and, you know, setting ourselves apart by making ourselves feel good by, you know, squashing other people. Right, yeah. right, yeah. So, in the sort of a in a, I guess the the short version, how has your faith and your your concept or your your relationship with uh, your concept of who Jesus is in your relationship with Jesus? How has that changed through the years? Uh, the more that you've seen a lot of horrific things, but also, um, you know, I, I think. You know the the hardships of the work that you do must have seasoned you in some ways that have that have wisened you and, and changed you. Well, well, certainly two things have shaped who I am um, when it comes to my my faith, and um, one of those certainly is Jesus. You know, and a, like a personal relationship with Jesus, but also like reading and studying. You know. Mm-hmm history and the history of Jesus trying to listen to the scripture with first century ears you know mm-hmm. we wrote a book Jesus for president that's trying to like kind of imagine the what does that look like today you know mm-hmm. to proclaim Jesus is Lord you know and right. like there's an emperor other than Caesar you know? <laughs> right. um, and um, um, but also I think being near to those who um, have suffered the brunt of injustice and, and spending time on death row, spending time with immigrant families, with folks that are victims of gun violence, all those things, you know, have been, mm-hmm. so I think it's both like um, Jesus and and those that um, have kind of been on the margins of the power structures and stuff that have, have shaped that. And, and even the way that I think of Jesus, um, I think there's ways of thinking about substitutionary atonement and why, well, it's a big word, but you know, mm-hmm. big couple words, but right. why Jesus died that that can end up creating a pretty monstrous like image of God. You mm-hmm. know, there's some forms of thinking about yeah. like Jesus's sacrifice that are like God's right. got a gun pointed at humanity and takes it off of us and shoots Jesus, you mm-hmm. know, and to redeem the world, and that, right. that, which justifies our violence. Yeah, yeah. so I think, uh, yeah, so we. That's why we can end up justifying the death penalty with that kind of violent theology. You know, I mean, right. I get emails that say, "How could God be against the death penalty when God used it to save the world?" You're right. Like, Whoa! But <laughs> can we have lunch? You know, we're gonna yeah. do a little bit more than a tweet on this. So, right. um, yeah, uh, but so you know, I've come to see Jesus from birth to the de- death on the cross like as as um the most profound act of divine solidarity with those who suffer mm-hmm. so jesus is absorbing all of the violence of the world mm. and triumphing over that with love and an empty tomb you know mm-hmm. like this this um the promise is not just that there's life after death, though that's a part of the resurrection. I believe in the bodily resurrection, you know, right. but I believe that the whole story that leads up to that's important too, so that Jesus comes to us as a refugee in the middle of a genocide. Herod's, you know, killing the children in the land, and so this is how God comes to us. You know, Jesus, he said, foxes have holes, you know, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He knew what it was like to, to be marginalized mm-hmm. and homeless to be so when he dies on the cross I think you know mm-hmm. that with with one on his left and on his right you know he's numbered among those who um, were really hated and uh, right. despised and and um, and, and ab- absorbs all of that violence uh, in, uh, to to show us that what what God's love looks like mm-hmm. yeah yeah and in and in Following Jesus and and doing that yourself, when like compassion fatigue or secondary trauma that you know just the overload the 
the massive amounts of suffering that you step into when, when you meet um, victims and their families uh, of the death penalty and gun violence. Um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you deal with that? How do you carry that or how do you unload that? How do you stay healthy? despite all of that? Well, I, I feel like some of these questions I should be asking you, man, but uh, the, the, <laughs> uh, some of it, I, I think there, there's a part of all of this that we don't want, we don't want to either um, undersell the responsibility that we can play in mm -hmm. the redemptive story of what God's doing or to over overstep, you know, like what, out is our responsibility. So mm. I really, I, one of my mentors and friends has said, um, even Jesus didn't carry his own cross. Mm. You know, Simon has helped Jesus carry the cross. Right. Yeah. And the, Jesus was not alone in all of it. I mean, I think he did feel a long loneliness. And so, you know, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So mm. I think it's very, that's a part of this solidarity is, I mean, that, that can, write books and meditate on that for a while you know yeah. like god felt the absence of god yeah like in that moment um and um, it revealed in that moment and so um but also community is so important so jesus was living in community and sending the disciples out and god i think even shows us a mm -hmm. god that is a plurality of oneness you know father son and spirit this god that is like is, is living community and made us in that image so right. Community is a part of how we do that too. You know, we, we don't carry the burdens together. We're, I mean, on our own, we're carrying them, you know, with, with a community. And that's why I think, you know, church community or some, mm -hmm. some you know, is, is a really important part of all this work is yeah. not just to be kind of radical, you know, renegade individuals out right. there doing. So being know. grounded in, in your community in Philadelphia is a big part of. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and when, you know, someone comes home and they're like, man, um, Juan's dad beat him up again you know like everybody's carrying the weight of that and we're mm -hmm. also like we've got the collective imagination and courage to say you know what 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 can we do together you know right. like this is bigger than and and literally there's a part of that teaching in the scriptures is you know we're to bear each other's burdens so I think that's part of the issue is that right. there are people who have bigger burdens than they should be carrying mm -hmm. and so we are invited to carry the, those together but we're 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 also doing that collectively, and and I think with the with the spirit of God and all of that, you know, mm -hmm. that, that we're um, so we're not to to um, um, do that separate from community and separate from God. We also have a lot of fun, you know. I believe like um, it was Emma Goldman that said, "If I can't dance, then it's not my revolution," you know. So yeah. I, I believe there's a part of all this that um, has that um, kind of audacious hope or that defiant hope that. Um, that love is more powerful than hatred, that grass can pierce concrete, you know, mm -hmm. that the universe bends towards justice, as Dr. King said. So there is the, that, uh, and, and I find that in a lot of communities that have struggled deeply, they've got hope and joy yeah. and resilience. Like, mm -hmm. just, I, I see it, I mean, everywhere I've been. When I was in Iraq in the middle of uh, the bombing and war, we threw a birthday party for a little girl named Amal, whose name is Hope, you know, and yeah. like we threw a party in the middle of, you know, a war, and, and it was the kids that when the bombs started falling, they're like, we need to quit, and the kids were like, no, we need to play, you know, like, yeah. you don't let a bomb stop you, like, we live in this, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. um, and I mean, just, it was, it was incredible, we asked her, you know, she turned 13 years old, we asked Amal, like, um, what do you want for your birthday, and she said, I want peace. Mm. I want the bombing and the wars to stop. And then she thought for a minute and like with the smirk of like a 13 year old, she said, but if one night while no one was there, she was very clear about that. Yeah. If, if one of the bombs hit my high school, that would be great. You know, we wouldn't have school for a while. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I just, that, yeah. that's, that's like the world that I've, I've seen is, you know, there's, there's that, those kids that, uh, and, and that, that, um, community of struggle that um, is convinced that that light, light pierces darkness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And on the theme of community, tell me about, uh, you know, how long have you and Katie been married now? Wow. About, I think we're right at nine years almost. Okay. Yeah, so years, so going from, from, from being single and doing the work that you're doing to being married and then 
you know, um, balancing marriage and this work for almost a decade, what has that been like? Yeah, man, well, I've gone through lots of uh, stages of trying to understand my own vocation and calling and sexuality and all that stuff. So I went through um, a period of, actually when I I, I knew Katie um, through some mutual friends and stuff, but when we really connected and we said, you know, we should hang out, I, I uh, had taken a temporary vow of celibacy mm. um, and singleness, so it didn't make sense to be hanging out with, you know, Katie. Um, but we wrote letters for a year because of that, or, or like six months was partly into that year. So we, and as we were writing letters, it seemed like a good, you know, kind of prayerful way to discern the way forward. And we really, um, out of the letter writing, like handwritten letters and stuff, we ended up, um, really finding our way forward and dated for a few years and got married, you know, but I, I learned so much through, um, singleness and also through like my mentors that are, um, many of them are, are taking vows of celibacy and singleness mm-hmm. and, um, um, and I, and I learn every day from marriage, you know, I think, yeah. I think we, we can learn from whatever we've, we've been given and we can see both of those, metaphors as, as um, parts of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. I think we can see yeah. see God in, in our... Um, there, there's things that singleness is... that I learned from being single and from single kind of Christian saints and disciples through history that right. I think they can teach us that are um, in a unique way, you mm-hmm. know, and, and like Richard Rohr, who's a good yeah. friend, you know. Um, and, and there's other things I think that... Um, folks that are living in covenant for their life with someone and what love teaches us through that and right. even you know having kids yeah. and all the different parts of god being a mother hen protecting her, right. her chicks and being yeah. a father to the fatherless those things yeah. are all there too how has marriage what's what's one way in which um, marriage has grown you um wow Katie is very committed to loving a few people well, mm. like not trying to, you know, like, so for, for instance, the way that that kind of revealed itself one time was she found uh, that some, we've got like a, almost half of our kids dropping out before the end of high school, you mm. know, like a 40% dropout rate or something. And, um, um, at the third or fourth grade level, if they're not, if things aren't kind of landing, they really start to struggle, you know, in school. Mm-hmm. And so, um, she ended up um, coming alongside one of the young women, like nine-year-old young girls in her neighborhood, and like for a year, she called it the boost year. You know, spend a year homeschooling her to boost her back up to yeah. where she could really, you know, be confident and thrive. And right. um, and someone said to her, "Well, aren't there lots of other kids?" You know, and mm-hmm. she's like. Yeah, so we do for one person what we wish we could do for everyone, but can't. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and, oh, you that's know, great. So I think, I think uh, and, and that's why there's lots of us. You know, we're all doing our piece. So I, I right. think that there's there's a part of that that to me is really um, beautiful. And, and there's a lot of other things I learned. Yeah. Okay, you know, when I got married, uh, she's, you know, sometimes people go, well, when you get married, you know, all that radical stuff is awesome when you're single. When you get married, you know, and uh, like for me, Katie lives uh, off of such a, such a like simple like beautifully simple life. The small is beautiful is kind of on yeah. our wall in our house. But you know she did when I got married. I got rid of the microwave. I got rid of. Um, she said we don't need air conditioning because the public schools don't have it. We're going to be in solidarity with them. You know. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, you know what else? Like she. Uh, um, I basically with no television. You know. So it's, right. I say I got married and became Amish. You know, all at the same time. But. Um, you know, the way you describe her approach reminds me uh, of uh, back at Wild Goose, um, Reverend uh, Otis Moss talking about working your corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, each right. person doing their thing and sort of yeah. leaving everyone else alone. You know, that's, that's beautiful. Uh, so Christian celebrity is a weird thing, and you've been sort of well-known or I guess you could say somewhat famous, right, for like, I don't know, half your life maybe? What's, what's that been like? Uh, you know, it all depends on who you ask. My favorite yeah. airport story, though, was I was trying to get on an airplane, and this woman um, apparently recognized me. She, I was waiting in line, and she said, uh, 
um, I, I'm, I'll help you get on the flight. You know, I was like, well, I, I kind of feel bad. You know, there's a lot of people in front of me. And, and then she just, no, no, I, I got this. And so she gets me a boarding pass, you know, and I just kind of, you know, I take it. And then yeah. she, as I'm getting on the plane, she goes, you were so good on American Idol. <laughs> you know, obviously, no, no idea. Oh, why. wow. And, uh, but I take it though. I was like, thank yeah. you for the boarding pass, and um, yeah. yeah, I'll keep singing, you know, yeah. or whatever. But um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have a friend who's um, a musician and, you know, real well known musician, and he, he taught me a prayer. He says, uh, it's a prayer that he prays, and, and it goes, he says, God, forgive me for thinking too highly of myself. God, forgive me for thinking too lowly of myself. Mm. God, forgive me for thinking of myself so much. Let's yeah. move on. You know? yeah. so there, yeah. Yeah. there kind of comes a point where you go like, I, I mean, I, I hope that I stay faithful to the, you know, the things that are really the, the fire of my bones, the convictions mm-hmm. of my heart, and, yeah. you know, regardless of whether, right. whether people pay attention or not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that difficult as far as relationships and discerning who's a true friend and... That sort I mean, of thing. A lot of a lot of things just are are not so flashy in our neighborhood, you know. Right. Like I, I I um do dishes and clean toilets and hang out with right. you know help kids with homework and yeah. clean up the block and and I mean that's how every everything happens in our neighborhood. So I mean we are protective in that in some ways when there's you know if there's cameras that are trying to come to the neighborhood right. or something like that. We're just we we're mindful of that um, that world, but. In some ways, the magic happens when all of that like works really in an authentic way together. You know, where I'm writing books and speaking, and um, am able to. A lot of that is stuff that I feel really called to do, and and, and I love doing. It's life giving, but it also gives back to the neighborhood. You know, yeah. I mean, we are non-profits. A lot of you know that that money and resources and, and the social you know relationships, the capital mm-hmm. you know relationships and everything, all kind of kind of. Um, fuels a lot of that so um, yeah that I, I think that I, I've got great friends that ask me the right questions and that I, I'm able to um, be real with and stuff like yeah, that you know yeah. and, um, but I, I know the people that I might have been a little starry eyed to, to meet when I was younger and right. a lot of them um, um, I read their books and heard them speak or sing or whatever, right. you know, and, um, and, and they helped shape me too. And some of them, people's names, some of them are names people would know. And some of them are folks that, uh, folks wouldn't know, you know, like yeah. my 90 year old Catholic nun in Philly. That's like been like a spiritual mother, right. to me, you know, like, but, um, so I'm, I'm grateful for the, the, those people. And, um, some of them I've gotten to know and get to know a little bit like, like, uh, I read Philip Yancey's book, you know, Philip Yancey, mm-hmm. he wrote like a lot of great books, but The Jesus I Never Knew, I took that to India with me, you know, and stuff, yeah. so he came and hung out and had a cheesesteak in Philly, and we got to, nice. you know, it's been, and, and you, you realize that, you know, I think that's part of um, the challenge in all of this is celebrating like the people that God uses or, you know, that are used for right. justice work, you know, in the world, and um, one of the lovely lines Rich Mullins had is he said uh, he talked about the old story where God spoke to Balaam through his donkey you know in mm-hmm. the Old Testament he said God spoke to Balaam through his ass and God's been speaking through asses ever since but then Rich would go on and he'd go so if upon meeting someone you think God could never use them you know think twice and if God should choose to use you then you know don't get overly in right that right <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I want to be mindful of your time, and I just have a couple more questions. Yeah, man, um, it's a good time. Yeah. Uh, what advice do you have to other people out there that are listening, that are, are doing the work and bumping up against hardship or burnout or exhaustion, you know, uh, disillusionment, things like that? Well, we, we, we need to have snowball fights, you know, and we need to play in fire hydrants or, find, you know, find ways to... Um, play frisbee or ball or whatever you know like yeah. i think we need to like laugh mm-hmm. even as we cry and and to be like um, those kids in iraq yeah, yeah yeah i think i think that um we also i, I to me having feet on my ground uh, on, the, on the ground in a real place like fuels some of the bigger work uh, mm-hmm. that i do so like i have neighbors that are from 
Haiti and El Salvador and um, uh, Vietnam, you know, and other places mm-hmm. that uh, Indonesia and you know, so the like immigration is is our names and faces of right. people I love, and I think that both adds an urgency of the crisis around these, but it also puts life in it, you know, puts wind in our sail. And right. I don't, I see a lot of people working at a mile high on these things like immigration reform or gun mm-hmm. violence or whatever, right. and they really start to wear thin if they lose that kind of contact. Feet on, on the, the ground, ground. yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, they, they need to just yeah. come have a food fight, you know, or yeah. something like, and then I think I, I know a lot of people that they're doing the work on the ground and, mm-hmm. you know, um, they're teaching in the public schools, they're right. like giving out food every week and, and they start to grow tired too, I think if they don't. Um, feel themselves doing something about why people are hungry and why schools are going bankrupt, like on the macro level too. So right. those, those things to me that they feel kind of like the blades of scissors, you know, they've got to really go together. Right. And, and when we have too heavy of our, our emphasis at, on, on one of those that the other begins to um, uh, wane a little bit, I think that's where mm-hmm. we, you know, we, we start to to yeah. burn out. And yeah. I think we need to do things that we love too. Yeah. Not everybody's called to do the same thing. You mm-hmm. know, a buddy of mine dropped out of grad school and joined our community and it was real empty to, to him. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what, I think I'm made to be a scientist. And he went back and studied world poverty and like the biggest cause of death is lack of access to clean water. You know, he's yeah. like, I'm a scientist for a reason, you know? Yeah. And he kind of had a different vision for that. You know, so yeah. I, when Frederick Beekner, he's had a wonderful way of saying this, you know, he's a writer that said, we've got to take our deepest passions and connect them to the world's deepest pain. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then the gifts that we have are giving life to other people, not just paying the bills, you know? And I think right. that's where, I mean, we've had plumbers, we've got, you know, we've got all kinds of folks that, are kind of connecting their gifts to the bigger story of yeah. what God's doing in the world. And that's where the magic happens. Sounds like a kingdom. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 theme of this podcast, the name of this podcast is Voices of Wisdom. And so it's really like trying to just get down to the, the deepest truth that a person's carrying at a particular moment. So mm. like in this particular moment, like in light of where you've been this morning and yesterday and just what's stirring in you and your spirit right now, like if you had, you know, a couple of minutes to tell the world, like, um, what's going on in your heart or kind of, you know, what is the wisdom you have in this moment for the world that you would share? Well, I mean, I, 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 I think that the, the, one of the core things that all of us need to hear is that we are not alone, mm. you know, and as I think of, I don't know when this will come out, but you know, this season of Christmas and the manual God with us. I mean, part of this story is that there is a God that is with us, um, a God that's been with us through everything that we've been through as human beings in history, from slaver, enslavement to liberation to enslavement again. To, you know, right. God, God's kind of been through all of this with us, and even you know, the fact that God sort of leaves all the comfort of heaven to join us in that particular way of Jesus um, uh, is, is I think, incredible and beautiful. But it's also a reminder that we're, we're, we're not alone either, that we're meant to love and be loved mm-hmm. in the world. And I think part of what, what, where we get kind of um, a, a lot of our deepest... Um, Pain comes from a sense of loneliness. It's, mm-hmm. it's not even that we've experienced hard things. I heard it's really cool neuroscientist. You would I, I should give you his information so you can have him on your show. But he said um, the the difference between suffering and trauma mm-hmm. is that when people experience trauma, they experience with suffering a deep loneliness. Mm. Um, and isolation, and he even, he's a neuroscientist, so he talked about the brain. He says Mm -hmm. you can see how it happens in the brain. He called it the love muscle. Like Mm. you can see how people's brains and their bodies like respond to suffering Mm -hmm. um, versus the trauma and loneliness of experience and almost identical things, but without feeling loved Mm -hmm. in those situations, you know? So that's that's wisdom from somebody else. But but, but I think that that sense that we're not alone in the world um, Mm. 
and uh, is is at the heart of this whole story that there is a God who is with us and that we're called to community. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're made in the image of community and, and some of us, we just got to exercise muscles that have atrophied a little while, you know, but, and, and I think when, even when I think of the d- deep disparities in the world, mm-hmm. like we're living in a, in an era with the deepest um, inequities between the super rich and super poor, you know, mm-hmm. masses of people living in extreme poverty while a handful of people have more money than we can ever even imagine, yeah. you know. Um, and, um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not good for the rich people either, you know. I, I, think, I think that, that we're, we often suffer from this loneliness of, of, of relationship. So mm-hmm. what's encouraging to me is that I think our, our biggest problem is not a compassion problem, but it's a relationship problem. Mm. And it's um, a proximity problem. You know, and that, that's yeah. why, you know, I'm here in Nashville asking the governor to join us at Unit 2 on death row yeah. so he can hear the stories of what Jesus has done there. Pretty confident that if he hears that, it'll be harder to execute them. Right. You know, yeah. but it's the proximity and the relationships that, um, so, I mean, that's always a, the core invitation of what I, I like to bring is an invitation to love and especially to love beyond what we're comfortable, to love mm-hmm. folks that don't look like us, that have seen life through a really different lens, you know, and um, you do that in, in, in amazing ways, man. So it's great to be a part of the conversation. Yeah. Well, brother, I, I'm thankful for your work, your friendship, and I just love and appreciate your heart. And Yeah, yeah man, you too. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, did Thank you for listening to episode three of the Voices of Wisdom podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, please like, share, and subscribe. Help us get this podcast out into the world. If you'd like to know more about me and about the podcast, go to TonyCaldwell.com. There are links there to reach me by email and links to my socials and links to my calendar for speaking engagements and to my writings as well. So uh, check it out. I'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to know more about Shane, you can find him at ShaneClayborn.com and at TheSimpleWay.org. The music for this podcast is provided by Birds of Chicago. You can find them at birdsofchicago.com. And this podcast would not be possible without the creative talents of Melanie Cummings, Pete Lepley, and Matt Lepley. You can find links to their work in the show notes. We have some amazing guests coming up. Uh, We're going to be dropping two episodes a week for a while because I've accumulated a lot of really great conversations. So, uh, Stay tuned. I can't wait for you to hear what's coming up. Um, The next episode will be out Thursday this week, and then we'll be dropping episodes every Monday and Thursday uh, for the next month or so. Thank you, and see you then. Do not feel the winter blowing in the hearts of men. I've seen American flowers. They will bloom again.